Thank you. 
afternoon. I'm Michelle Minter, the Vice Provost of Institutional Equity and Diversity here at Princeton University, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our annual celebration of the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I would like to expend a special welcome to Bob Moses, our keynote speaker and distinguished visiting fellow in the Center for African American Studies, to the honorees who will be the recipients of today's Journey Awards, to the talented young musicians of a new jazz perspective. And to all the student contestants who have honored Dr. King with so much insight and creativity. Finally, it is a pleasure to acknowledge the presence of Princeton Township Committeeman Lance Liverman, Mercer County Freeholder Andrew Kuntz, and Congressman Rush Holt, who are all with us today. Thank you all for marking this important occasion with us. More than 40 years have passed since Dr. King's untimely death, 
but his belief in the value and potential of all remains as relevant today as it was in the segregated South and racially divided North of the 1950s and 60s. In his Nobel Prize lecture of 1964, Dr. King stated, I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. Part of Dr. King's message that day was that education is as important a human right as food itself. This was a message well understood by nine young African-American students who made the commitment to desegregate Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957. This year marks the 55th anniversary of their decision to face hostile classmates and rioting community members in order to have equal access to a good education in an integrated school. Those brave students risked their lives because they believed, like Dr. King, that education mattered. And education still matters. More than ever before, it is the foundation for a healthy, productive life, a strong democracy, and an economically prosperous nation. But today we face crises across the education landscape. Too many students fall through the cracks as they navigate our education system. Less than three-quarters of the students in America graduate from high school on time, and in some states, the rate of successful graduation drops to little more than half. Many students, particularly in major cities, attend schools that have become known as dropout factories. In New York City and Los Angeles alone, more than 35,000 students drop out of school each year. There are dramatic differences in educational achievement among student populations based on socioeconomic background, race, ethnicity, and gender. It's critical that we as a nation change these statistics and increase the number of students who not only graduate from high school, but go on to earn a college degree. As the compelling entries in this year's student contest remind us, our schools face a myriad of obstacles, but there are also ways to tackle these obstacles if we have the collective will and imagination we can and must make educational excellence equally available to all American students. In the words of Nelson Mandela, a hero whose vision Dr. King shared, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. In that spirit, I'd like to invite Shirley Tillman, the president of Princeton University, to the stage in order to share her thoughts and welcome our keynote speaker. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today as we honored the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. For many of you, Dr. King is a historical figure whose quest for justice and equality occurred long before your birth, a figure who is now immortalized in stone on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., between the Lincoln and Jefferson memorials. But for others, 
and for our guest speaker in particular. He is a living presence in a struggle that initially appeared more likely to end in jail than in a national holiday. For these men and women, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is not so much a time to commemorate the achievements of half a century ago, profoundly important as they were, as it is a time to rededicate ourselves to the challenge of creating a more equitable and humane society. Legislated racial segregation may be a thing of the past, but economic disparities have widened to the point that many people of color are isolated from the benefits of civic life. And as the theme of this year's literary, video, and visual arts contest reminds us, nowhere is the American dream of equal opportunity more frayed than in our nation's public schools. Indeed, in the words of Secretary of Education Arne Duncan, which echoed Dr. King's own words, education is the civil rights issue of our generation. No one knows this better than Robert P. Moses, currently a distinguished visiting fellow in our Center for African American Studies. Bob was one of the civil rights movement's most compelling voices in the 1960s and today stands in the forefront of efforts to ensure that all Americans have access to a quality education. For Bob has always been an educator, whether that has meant encouraging impoverished sharecroppers to exercise their right to vote, or helping underserved middle and high school students discover the joy of algebra, and through it, quantitative literacy. Raised in Harlem, he attended Hamilton College and Harvard University before teaching math at New York's prestigious Horace Mann School. Then in 1960, he traveled to the heart of the segregated South, first as a volunteer with Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference in Atlanta, and the following year, as the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee's field secretary in Mississippi. There he braved abuse, intimidation, and physical violence as he sought to register black voters in a state where all but a tiny fraction had been disenfranchised. In the summer of 1962, he helped create the multiracial Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party which came close to unseating Mississippi's segregationist delegates at the Democratic National Convention. Bob also spoke out forcefully against the Vietnam War, preferring exile in Tanzania to military service when drafted in 1966, his petition for conscientious objector status having been rejected. Ten years later, after serving as a teacher for the Tanzanian Ministry of Education, he and his family returned to the United States, where he resumed his graduate studies at Harvard University. It was during this time that he entered the world of educational reform, initially as a concerned parent, and then with the help of a MacArthur Foundation Fellowship as a teacher and thinker 
determined to re-envisage the way that algebra is taught. This was much more than an academic exercise, for his fundamental object was what it had been in the 1960s, to empower others to participate fully in society. In this case, by giving students with limited prospects the quantitative tools they need to thrive in our increasingly technological world. Since its genesis in 1982, the Algebra Project has engaged students, educators, and parents in communities across the country in a pedagogical revolution. As the Heinz Awards noted in honoring Bob several years ago, instead of sitting in a classroom listening to and trying to memorize equations and formulas, you all remember that, right? Students use real-life experiences to understand mathematical concepts, paving the way for success in high school, college, and beyond. The Algebra Project views its work as part of a larger campaign to revitalize our nation's failing public schools and extend to every student the right to a quality education through a constitutional amendment. Nothing less, Bob believes, will bring about the kind of educational equality that accords with both our national ideals and our national interest in the 21st century knowledge economy. This is not an undertaking for the faint of heart, but our guest speaker has never shied away from challenges. And in confronting inequality, both now and in the past, he points the way for all of us to bring the promised land of Dr. King a little closer to fulfillment. Please join me in extending the warmest of Tiger welcomes to Bob Moses. Thank you, President Tillman. Uh, and I thank the entire Princeton community for having me as your speaker. I will open with a few remarks, after which we will present a brief one-act play entitled Jimmy Crawford and We the People, after which I will ask all the teenagers and younger to join me on the stage for a We the People Parliament session. <laughs> Ella Baker had this to say, in order for us as a poor and oppressed people to become a part of a society that is meaningful, the system under which we now exist has to be radically changed. I use the term radical in its original meaning getting down to and understanding the root cause. It means facing a system that does not lend itself to your needs and devising means by which you change that system. That is easier said than done. In his book, My Song, 
Harry Belafonte captures a conversation with a Dr. King very much agitated by the rebellion of young blacks in Newark. King and several of his aides are gathered in Belafonte's apartment on March 27th, a week before King was assassinated. King is speaking. Somehow, frustration over the war has brought forth this idea that the solution resides in violence. What I cannot get across to these young people is that I wholly embrace everything they feel. It's just the tactics we can't agree on. I have more in common with these young people than with anybody else in this movement. I feel their rage, I feel their pain, I feel their frustration. It's the system that's the problem, and it's choking the breath out of our lives. We live in a failed system. Capitalism does not permit an even flow of economic resources. With this system, a small privileged few are rich beyond conscience, and almost all others are doomed to be poor at some level. That's the way the system works, and since we know that the system will not change the rules, we're going to have to change the system. So who is this we that King is talking about? One answer is given in a dialogue recorded by Howard Zinn in A People's History of the United States. A SNCC field secretary in southwest Georgia, a young African-American high school student, brings a black woman to register to vote. And when interrogated by the white registrar, makes it very clear that he understands that he is facing a system that does not lend itself to his people's needs, that he understands who he is, where he has come from, and who the we is that he works for. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Crawford and We the People. What do you want? I brought this lady down to register. Why did you bring this lady down here? Because she wants to be a first class citizen like y'all. 
It's my job. Suppose you get two bullets in your head right now. Well, I got to die anyhow. You know, if I don't do it, I can get somebody else to do it. You scared? No. Suppose somebody came in that door and shoot you in the back of the head right now. What would you do? I couldn't do nothing. But if they shoot me in the back of the head, there are people from all over the world coming. What people? The people I work for. David Bamber as Jimmy Crawford. <laughs> Margarita Bamber, his mother, as the lady. Yours truly, the registrar. Thank you. Thank you. You keep that. Okay, all the young people, we need you up on the stage. Young people, come on up. I was told that you wouldn't figure out how to do it, but I know you know how to do it. All the young people, come on down. Come on over here. Yeah, just sit right up here. Hey, Nasir, how you doing? Good, right in here, everybody. Don't be shy. Come on into the center here. Yeah. There you go. Can you get in closer? Don't be, yeah. Come on, get in a little closer. Maybe you can double up. Yeah. Out in the wings there. Come on in. Come on into the center here. You can stand behind them and the shortest in the front. Come on over. Yeah. Come on over. Come on over, though. What are you afraid of? Come on up. Keep coming. Keep coming. Yeah. Come on. Keep coming. In the center. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk to you, uh, and I wanted to talk directly to you, right? And I wanted to explain to you about what we did and what we didn't do, what we were not able to do, and so what's left for you to do, right? And also want to say how I think you have to do it, right? What do you have, and the tools that you have to use to do it. So we were a group of young people, like Jimmy Crawford, who decided that we had a job to do. And the people who we worked for was the person, the people that Jimmy talked about. And who did he say he worked for? Did you all hear him? Yes, say it again. Who did Jimmy work for? Okay, say it everybody together. Who did Jimmy work for? You're getting there. Say it again louder. Who did Jimmy work for? 
It's sounding good. One more time. Who did Jimmy work for? Yes, right, exactly. So what we did, we were able to get segregation and Jim Crow out of three areas of the country's life, right? Uh, we got it out of public accommodations. We got it out of the right to vote. Young man, I'm talking to you, all right? I want you to look at me, right? Look right at me. Right? We got it out of the right to vote, right? And we got it out of the National Democratic Party. But we did not get segregation and Jim Crow out of education, right? And that's your job. That's going to be your job. You are going to have to do that in this century if it's going to be done. The old folks out there, they're not going to be able to do it, right? So the tool that you have to do it is the preamble to the Constitution of the United States, the we the people tool, right? And what you have got to think about is that it's a tool that belongs to you and that you have the right to use it to change the Constitution of this country. And nobody can stop you from doing that, right? So we're going to say it together. I'm going to say it, and if you don't say it good the first time, we're going to have to do it again, right? So we want you all to find your voice. I will say it, and then I want you to say it after me. We, the people of the United States. That's great. That's great. It's almost perfect. We're going to do that again, right? All right. We, the people of the United States. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty, to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Yes, it doesn't say we the President. It doesn't say we the Congress. It doesn't say we the Supreme Court. It doesn't even say we the citizens. It says we the people and uh, young people, this is your tool. You got to use it. You got to learn how to use it, right? It's not, going, it's not easy to use, but no one can say to you that you can't use this tool to change the Constitution. We need a constitutional amendment that says that every child in this country is entitled to a quality public school education. Thank you.
As you can tell, Bob Moses is a passionate teacher to his core. Thank you, Bob, for your powerful example of the leadership role that we can all play in changing the lives of Americans and especially American students. I'd like to present you with a small token of our appreciation and ask the audience to join me in thanking you once again. I'd now like to turn to the presentation of the annual Journey Awards. Throughout his career, Dr. King acknowledged that his work in social justice represented the continuation of a journey started by others before him, including some of his personal heroes, such as Mahatma Gandhi. King also predicted that the journey would not end with his own death, but be carried on by others. In his last speech on the eve of his assassination, he said, I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. The Martin Luther King Day Journey Award has been created to recognize annually those members of the Princeton University faculty, staff, or student body who best represent the continued journey through a commitment to civil rights and human rights. For the first of our two Journey Awards, I'd like to invite Deborah Bozarski, the director of Princeton's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center, to the stage in order to present the award for special achievement to Sandra Mukasa. Sandra, if I could invite you up, please. Our first honoree is Sandra Mukasa, a member of the class of 2012. Sandra is a sociology major who will also be receiving certificates in the program in the study of Africa and gender and sexuality studies. Thank you for joining. During the past four years, Sandra has been extremely involved at Princeton and focused her work on improving campus climate for women, students of color, and lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students. Similar to Martin Luther King, she's a change agent focused on connecting social justice issues, fighting oppression, and improving all communities of which she is a part. Sandra has been involved with a multitude of groups on campus, including Sustained Dialogue, Princeton Equality Project, the Leadership Implementation Group, Princeton Association of Black Women, LGBT Peer Education Program, Let's, and Queering the Color Line. Her campus activism has been around transforming Princeton in three main ways encouraging institutional change, fostering dialogue, and providing community support. One example is as a student co-chair of the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Task Force, which is comprised of many campus administrators and faculty. Sandra sets the agenda, facilitates monthly meetings, and routinely meets with administrators across campus where she represents the, student, the interests of students as well as staff, faculty, and alumni. She does this quite effectively with grace and ease and demonstrates a maturity far beyond her years. Through her work with the task force, she has focused on the importance of addressing heteronormativity in the classroom, advocated for the expansion of gender-neutral housing, 
and guided several initi initiatives which address policy and resource concerns around LGBT healthcare, the needs of transgender students, and LGBT athletes. Much of Sandra's volunteerism outside of campus is focused on women's rights, violence, and HIV AIDS in Africa. Sandra has volunteered with HIV-positive orphan children in Uganda and Tanzania while visiting family and studying abroad, as well as she tutored high school students who did not have access to educational supports while studying at the University of Cape Town during her sophomore year. Inspired by her time in South Africa, her JP was about their media coverage of corrective rape, and her thesis is about the resistance and survival of marginalized, same-sex desiring women in South Africa. In the future, her goal is to change the climate in Dar es Salaam around inequality of women working across communities to build coalitions around the intersecting issues of gender violence and HIV AIDS. Similar to Martin Luther King, Sandra has an excellent utilization of an intersectional framework and the connection between oppression and its many forms. She has an infectious enthusiasm that inspires and empowers others to become involved. She thinks big and draws others into her vision and, ex and excitement. In the words of associate English professor Gail Solomon, who's a professor of Sandra's, Sandra has by all accounts and by every measure grown into an extraordinary, accomplished, and mature young person and a strong leader and vibrant presence on campus, both in the classroom and out. It's not so much that Sandra shows promise that she may someday become skilled at political and activist work, it is rather that she already is that person. Sandra, thank you for all that you have done in your time at Princeton, and congratulations on receiving the 2012 Journey Award for Special Achievement. I'd now like to invite President Tillman to return to the stage to present the Journey Award for Lifetime Service to Miguel Centeno. If now I could ask Miguel Centeno if he could come up to the stage. It gives me great pleasure to present the Journey Award for Lifetime Service to a man who, like Bob Moses, has created educational opportunity for economically disadvantaged students. Professor of Sociology and International Affairs, Miguel A. Centeno, is a distinguished Latin Americanist and a highly regarded authority on globalization. As founding director of the Princeton Institute for International and Regional Studies, he fostered research and teaching with a worldwide scope. But it is for his work much closer to home and the passion and compassion it reflects that we honor him today. And that is as it should be, for Miguel has called his proudest professional accomplishment the creation of POP, the Princeton University Preparatory Program. Since its inception in 2000, this inspired initiative has given scores of young men and women from local school districts 
the skills, insights, and confidence they need to apply to and succeed at selective colleges and universities around the country. Together with the former head of our program in teacher preparation, John Webb, Miguel conceived a program that would play a transformative role in the lives of high school students whose talents are greater than their means, including many from minority communities. Miguel understood that student financial aid is not sufficient to fully open the gates of institutions like Princeton. The real problem, he concluded, is figuring out how to find talented kids who have never thought of applying and then preparing them and getting them ready to apply. To this end, POP invites local students to participate in three intensive summer in institutes on our campus while providing year-round opportunities for academic and cultural enrichment. During their senior year of high school, students and their parents receive the help they need to navigate the college application process, as well as continuing support in the years that follow. This investment has paid remarkable dividends. Among PUP's first four cohorts, 68% have already earned college degrees, versus a national average of 55% among all college students and a dismal 9% among low-income students. Students who have passed through POP have been admitted to some of our nation's finest institutions, from Occidental College in California to Cornell University in New York State, and 12 have attended Princeton. None of this would have happened without Miguel's leadership rooted in his personal experience as a 10-year-old Cuban refugee who was raised by a single parent in a neighborhood where college was the last thing on people's minds. With a relative's encouragement, he applied to Yale University, where he ultimately earned his doctorate. Having made this challenging journey himself, he is profoundly committed to helping others make it too, not only through POP, but also in less public ways, as a master mentor at Wilson College, as a teacher in the Freshman Scholars Institute, and as a friend to all who may feel initially out of place at Princeton. As one of his colleagues put it, he completely understands both the struggle and the potential of his fellow man. And woman, I presume. Of course. Just just checking. I know you would. Right, right. Okay. And in reaching out to him and her, he has made our university, as well as our community, an infinitely better place. Thank you, Miguel, for giving substance to both Princeton's ideals and to those of Dr. King. Thank you, President Tillman. Let's congratulate our Journey Award winners again, please.
And good afternoon. My name is Tori Wilson. I'm the Associate Director of the Princeton University Preparatory Program. I'm also a program associate with the program in teacher preparation here at Princeton University. It is with great pride that I was once again afforded the opportunity to serve as a judge for this year's um, student competition. As was mentioned, 2012 marks the 55th anniversary of the, of the desegregation of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas by a small group of African-American students known as the Little Rock Nine. In recognition of that historical event, the students were asked to think about the importance of a quality education as a foundation for success throughout life. And in their entry, they had to propose viable options for addressing disparity in educational access and encouraging academic excellence. I will now announce the winners of the student competition, starting with visual, the visual arts contest for grades four through six. First prize, Brent Ferenzi, grade five, Hollenbrook School, White House Station. Second prize, Pre-Tom Prince, grade four, Village Elementary School Skillman. Third place, Catherine McLaughlin, grade six, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Next, we have Literary Arts, grade seven through eight. First place, Rachel Asir, grade seven, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Haley Siegel, grade eight, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. And third place, Haley Filippini, grade eight, Reddington Middle School, White House Station. Literary Arts, grade nine and 10. First place, Eric Ferenzi, grade 10, Hunterdon Central Regional High School, Flemington. Second place, Bindu Bansana, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Third place, Vanessa Lee, grade 10, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Honorable mention, Matthew Filippini, grade 10, Hunterdon Central High School, Hunterdon Central Regional High School, Flemington. And finally, literary arts, grades 11 and 12, We have first place, Christina Chun, grade 12, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Second grade, Alicia Menderata, grade 12, 
Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. In third place, Christina Zeppenfeld, grade 11, Stewart Country Day School, Princeton. Let's congratulate all of our winners. And we will now have another selection from a new prospective jazz band. They will come back to the stage. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
It's a great pleasure to be able to close our program with a final word of congratulation to all our student contest winners, their parents and teachers, and to once again congratulate our Journey Award winners, Sandra Mukasa and Miguel Centeno. I also want to offer our special appreciation and homage to Bob Moses and recognize the members of A New Jazz Perspective. And finally, thanks to all of you for joining us on this important occasion of remembrance and rededication. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. <laughs>